theyeshiva.net. The five key seitze, we're middle here. We'll continue inside today. Lamed Ches, the second column, or page 75. The line starts, It's probably 15 lines from the bottom. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 18 lines from the bottom, page 75, Parshas Kisetze, Lamed Ches, column number 2. Lamed Ches, column 2, or page 75. Line starts Cain, Anachnum Avakshim, his Galus Ritzainai. Speaking about the Slachlonu, we say in Davening Slachlonu, Avinu Kichatonu, it's not just fear of punishment. <coughs> I don't want to be punished, but it's more, I want to be able to look you in your face. I want to be able to have that wholesome relationship. A Jew says to Hashem, <coughs> I want to be able to look the Rebbeinu Shalom in the eyes, in the face. I shouldn't have to uh, blush or duck or not face you in my full presence. Which, this is a deeper thing. It's not that I fear punishment. It's that internally, I want that our relationship should be wholesome, that I shouldn't have to feel that I'm always, you know, running away from who I am and running away from who you are. I can't really look you in your eyes and stand up because I have so much to hide. So when somebody has a lot to hide... It's very hard for them to look at their friend in the face. Even if the friend doesn't know everything, but you, you, you know. And certainly if they do know. So you're really saying, Baruch atah, you, Lashen Neichach, I want to be able to be able, a Jew should always be able to look Hashem in the face in the sense that uh, there's a oneness because he makes sure that the relationship is not tarnished. So he continues, he says, in in Aramaic, the Yudgimel B'Desarachim are called the 13 rivers of uh, fragrant spices. Which whiten and sift through, they cleanse the sins of the Jewish people. So that there should be no veils that eclipse the revelation of His will. That the full relationship, the full love that He has to you, nothing should block it. The love is always there, but sometimes we block it in the sense that we cannot experience it. Because if I betrayed it, so then ultimately it creates a partition, a masach, and it doesn't allow for the seamless flow of that love, of that relationship. So what I want, all tshuva really, what tshuva is that you should be able to experience the love, you should be able to experience the full relationship. That's what tshuva really means. So this is never about guilt. It's not about guilt. It's not about how bad you are. It's about how beautiful you are and the ability to be able to experience yourself as beautiful as God experiences you. This is what he means. His rotsen to you is always intact. 
it's unconditional. But you can't feel that rotsen to you because you separate yourself and therefore you feel separated, you feel tarnished. So the real avoid of tshuva is not yiris ha'inish, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty and I'm going to suffer and, and it's terrible and you're going to hate me and you're going you're to denigrate me and, and torture me and so forth. It's something much profounder and that is that uh, the relationship is so powerful, it's so beautiful, it's so wholesome and yet there's a toxicity in me that's not allowing me to feel the power of that relationship, the presence of that relationship, and that's what I want to remove. I want to remove the veil that I could fully show up into life. I could fully be present in the relationship. I could be fully present in life. That's the essence of what tshuva really means, of what slachlonu avinu kichatonu means. I don't want there should be any partition that blocks the seamless flow between you and I should be able to be in full, full presence. You know, imagine in a marriage, somebody hides stuff from their second half. So they could never fully show up because there's a part of them that can't be there. Because if you're fully there, it won't be good. So therefore, you think you're scared of it. So therefore, you're there, but you're not really there. You know, a person is there, you're always texting, let's put it that way. There's people that in their whole life, they're texting. Even when they're not texting, they're texting in the sense that they don't show up fully to anything. And the reason I don't show up fully to something is, could be a lot of reasons, but a person is fragmented, or a person is bogged down, or a person has things in them that they that, that sit in their system and don't let the drainage you know, go out. It, it plugs the system, like when you put stuff in the sink and the water can't get out. So it plugs the system. And uh, so tshuva is really opening up the drainage to allow that which has to go out to go out in order to be able to be fully intact, fully present. Remember this is was said, so he adds that Elul generally is a time for the arousal of these 13 attributes. And Yom Kippur, that's when the full Ratzon gets revealed, just like the first Yom Kippur, the Jews sinned with the golden calf. But on Yom Kippur, the full Ratzon got revealed to them. In other words, they could experience once again the full desire of Hashem in them, which the Chay did not allow them to experience because it was like a blockage. The love that a person experiences, called Bechal Maidecha, becomes more intense than the love of the soul before it came into this world. There's a love that comes only by refining your biological soul and eliminating the the brokenness or the evil in it. Like the Pasuk says, we learned before from Iyah, the deepest depths are revealed from darkness. Like the superiority of light that comes from darkness, as explained elsewhere. The Pasuk says in Kaihelis, Shloyma HaMelech says, that Vira'isi I saw that Yisri Na'armin HaChayshach Light is greater than darkness. Just like wisdom is greater than sikhlas, than foolishness, than folly. 
So everybody wonders, you needed Shleimah HaMelech's wisdom. says, I have seen that wisdom is greater than stupidity, just like light is greater than darkness. You really need Shleimah HaMelech to tell you that Chachm is better, better than Tipshas, and Eir is greater than Chayshach. You don't need to be such a uh, great, uh, brilliant genius like King Solomon to know that wisdom is superior to folly. Maybe you do have to, I don't know. Depends when you live, maybe. And light is greater than darkness. Right? So some say, they say there's a medrash. I'm not, I'm not sure they've ever found a medrash. But in Svanim, there's brought a medrash. It says on Shloyma, He was wider than all people. So the medrash says, In other words, to be wiser than Chachamim is not so hard. But to be wiser than a shaita, that's very hard. In other words, the shaita should recognize that you're a Chacham. That takes really a lot of Chachma. But... Uh, but what's this? What's the meaning? Is the Balatanya Taichis Yisin Erman Achershach means the light that comes from darkness, not that light is greater than darkness. We know that light is greater than darkness. Yisin Erman Achershach means the greatest light is the light that comes min Achershach. Everyone touches the pasuk. Yisin Erman Achershach Oyer has a Yisrin has an advantage over darkness. No, Yisin Erman Achershach. The greatest light is the light that comes min from darkness. When the darkness is converted into light. When the folly is converted into wisdom, that's the greatest light. Why is that the greatest light? Because that light has a unique energy that on its own it will never have. There's natural light, but then there is taking negative energy, taking the negative energy of darkness and converting it into an impetus, into a force for light. That light has a special quality that is unique because... Choshech has a very deep, distortive quality. And when that ter- gets turned into Eir, the Eir has a transformation, a transformative quality to it, because it comes from the Choshech. So anything that comes from converting the Choshech, taking toxic energy or negative energy or distorted energy or, or painful energy or fearful energy and taking that and converting that into light, in other words, using that very reality. Huh? How can I not come from Chayshach? No, in other words, you have light spiritually. Well, you mean physically or spiritually? Well, the Ur doesn't come from Chayshach. The Ur may illuminate Chayshach. Here we're saying something else. That the Chayshach is converted into Ur. Not that the Ur illuminates the Chayshach. The Ur is created from the transformation of Chayshach. The Ur that transform, that's created from the transformation of Chayshach, that's the deepest type of light. The Ur that converts the opposite into Ur, so it has a whole unique uh, dimension that never exists in Ur in and of itself. Because what happens here is the Ur gains the whole momentum from the opposite, from the Chayshach, and that converts into Oyd, so the Oyd has a tremendous, that's what he says, V'yeser Se'ez V'yeser Oyd. But the Oyd, the Oyd, the Chayshach absence of light. That means the light has to be so strong that it knocks away all this darkness, or that the darkness itself has some power that right. we, don't, we don't give it before. Right. You unleash the power that exists in it. 
and it becomes part of the oyer, so then the oyer has a special, special intensity to it. Because it's not just oyer on its own. The whole intensity that Choshech had, when that intensity is converted into oyer, so now the oyer gains that intensity. Alderich, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he says, the Gemara tells us, Toyim Masechet Baba Metziah, of Pedala, that Rish Lakish was a gangster. He was a gladiator. He was a very mighty man. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan was one of the G'dayli Hadar, if not the Gadol Hadar, the author of Talmud Yerushalmi, the editor of Talmud Yerushalmi, went to bathe in, in the Jordan River. And uh, Rish Lakish saw him. And Rabbi Yochanan was a very, very beautiful man. And Rish Lakish jumped into the river, jumped into the river, whether he thought he was a woman or he wanted to do something with a man. You can interpret it as different mafarshim, give different interpretations, what his objective was. But he wanted to behave in an inappropriate way with Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was, was his, his beauty was dazzling. The Gemara describes Shufri the Rabbi Yochanan, it was <clears throat> something unique. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan saw his strength. So imagine he's right there and he wants to, uh, he wants to molest, whatever he wants to molest or he wants to do something with Rabbi Yochanan, rape or behave inappropriately. So Rabbi Yochanan looks at him, just think about the, the presence of mind that it took. And he tells him two words. Your power that I just saw, this power that you have belongs to Taira. So Rishlakish was no stupido, and he says, Shufrech l'noshem. And your beauty belongs to women. <laughs> in other words, they were saying that you, we're both, he was saying, you're in the wrong career, and he's saying, you're in the wrong career. <laughs> Rabbi Yechina was saying, such power belongs to Torah. <clears throat> and Rishlakish says, such beauty, you don't understand what you can achieve in life with this beauty. Right? Everybody would be after you. So Rabbi Yechina says, I have a sister who's more beautiful than I, and if you become a mensch, I'll suggest to her that she marries you. Imagine. And that's what happened. Rish Lakish became not only a man, she became one of the G'dayli Hadar, a brother-in-law, and he married Rabbi Yechanan's sister. They became brothers-in-law. And throughout the whole Shas, Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish are some of the most frequent. Amiraya mentioned with their debates throughout the whole Shas, Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish, they were brothers-in-law. So what's the Pshat here? You really have a very profound idea. Rabbi Yechanan could have looked at Rish Lakish and said, you're a bum, you're a para-adam, you're a lowlife, you're a despicable monster, which is how he was behaving. He jumps into the Jordan River not to learn with Rabbi Yechanan Dafyaymi. That was not why he jumped into the Jordan River. Or even to learn with him Lukutatayra. That was not the Tachlis. But Rabbi Yechanan, what he did was, he explained to him, he says, your strength belongs to, what does it mean it belongs to Tayra? It means that the real outlet for your strength will be in Torah. In other words, such power, you have such power, he saw from his physical power, he also saw the power of his will, of his personality, of his presence, his charisma. So he says, this power needs to belong in Torah. So the Shlokr says, and this beauty belongs to women, what are you doing with it? It's like you, you're, you're living the wrong lifestyle, Rabbi Yechidah. And he becomes a transformed person through this. This is what Rabbi Yechanan did. This is, this is an example, very good. Yisun or Min is that. He didn't repress Rish Lakish's creativity. 
He transformed Rabbi Yerush Lakish into creativity. And then what happens is the oil grows so much more because it has all of the all of the ingredients that the Chayshach had that made it so destructive. And all of the, its destructive powers are now converted into constructive powers. And that becomes the most powerful, uh, the most powerful source for good. I once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he's touched the Gemara Menachas. Very interesting vart. The Gemara says in Menachas that there was a famous Zaina, that she was, you know, world-renowned, so to speak. And there was this man who was uh, very focused on this lifestyle, and he heard about her, and he traveled all the way to get to this person, and it was very, very expensive. He had a lot of money, all to do it. And uh, and Lepoil in the process, V'tip Chaloy Tzitzis, Lepoil, I got some ice there, I just want to get to the Nakunda. He, uh, he does tshuva and she does tshuva. And they ultimately married. The Gemara says, The same mattresses that she suggested to him, that she's the same sheets that she spread out for him. In Isser, she now spread out for him beheter. So the question is, why does the Gemara say, The same sheets, and if it was new sheets? <laughs> same sheets? What's the Gemara trying to say? Same sheets that she used, the Isser with him, she now used beheter. What's the point? The Gemara says something very profound. Oisan Matzayas, the same, the same passion, the same sheets. In other words, the same mechanism, the same instruments that were used beisur, they were used beheter. It's not that they ran away from their previous life; they transformed their previous life, and that's always much deeper than running away. Because when you run away, you just run away. It's a gavaldik enyan. But the power of transformation is that you use the very energy that got you into the mess in the first place, and the very energy that was fueling the mess in the first place, because that has very deep energy. And the reason it has such deep energy is because, as we'll see, it comes from a very high place. Because all darkness, all disruptive, all disruptive energy, all energy that is making a mess in your life comes really from a very deep place. And because it comes from a deep place, it's sensitive to a very deep void. And because it's sensitive to a deep void, it ultimately fuels crazy behavior because it needs to fill a very deep void. So when you take that and you convert it into light, you're really revealing the source of the Chayshach. And when you reveal the source of the Chayshach, it gives the Ur something that the Ur doesn't have on its own. You understand? In other words, the reason the person is behaving this way is because they're trying to fill a void that comes from a very deep and lofty space. And that's where, you know, that, and so that, that when they take that very trauma and they convert it, and they transform it, that's called Yisrina Ermina Chayshech, Megala Mukas Mini Chayshech. It's the secrets that come out from the Chayshech, Mini Chayshech. So he says, that the Neshama has when it comes down into Elam Haza. That's what he says. V'zeo tachlis yiridus ha-Neshama ba'Elam Haza. And this is the ultimate objective of the Neshama coming into this world. L'varir l'olabin ha-Rasha b'Nefesh ha-Bahamiz b'Teshet ha-Giyil ha-Averabazu. To whiten, to sweeten, and to refine the Ra'a and the animal soul in order to reach this Averabah. So here we have now at last a paradox. The soul is battling with the animal. The godly soul is battling with the animal soul because the animal soul has a whole different agenda and a whole different perspective. And yet paradoxically, it's only through its entanglement with the animal soul and working with it that the nefesh al-kis will one day experience an ava to Hashem that it would never be able to experience on its own because of the yisun ermin So now it suddenly turns around. 
the whole thing becomes topsy-turvy. In the beginning, we were learning that the animal soul, of course, goes through a whole symptom and restrictions, and it morphs into this animal and this beast that is completely severed and disconnected. And the soul comes down and lives with the animal soul and works with it and gets entangled in it, and they fight each other. And that's the whole process. And the main time of the battle is during davening, when the two souls are, so to speak, negotiating with each other. At last, what happens is, as a result of this relationship with the animal soul, when the godly soul is mevarer, when it does a birur in the animal soul, and it reveals the source of its darkness, the source of its chayshach, so what happens is, the animal soul gives a fuel, an energy, into the nefesh alakiz that it did not have on its own. A whole new level of ava, of bechol ma'idecha, Ma'oid means infinite, very. means with all your veriness. That's toiv ma'oid, very good. with all your The veriness that comes from the animal soul. And the question is why? Why is that? That's what he's going to now explain. Why is it that an animal soul has this? Why is it that the darkness has something? Why don't we say light is much better on its own? Natural light is greater than transformative light. So you have to say that there's something, there's a secret that the Chayshach has that ostensibly at first glance is the greatest contradiction to light, and you want to get rid of it. But on the other hand, when you manage to look into it, to steer into the chayshach and not be afraid of it, you will one day discover that there's something deeper. And this is really the essence of tshuva. Because, as he says elsewhere in Parshas Bolok, that the reason that the comes down into this world is to become a baltshuva. And it's a very similar idea. To become a baltshuva doesn't mean necessarily a person sins. That too, but even a person who never sins... The whole experience in this world is an experience of tshuva. The difference of tshuva and the tzaddik is that tzaddik is, follows a righteous path. Tshuva follows a path that always entails darkness and stumbling blocks and failure. And through the failure, he rediscovers his life. And ultimately, the greatest of souls that lives the greatest of spiritual lives in this world is going through a process of tshuva. Because there's no other way to justify the meaning of this world if you embrace life for what it is if you're not in a mode of escapism. And we see the same thing by Tshuva. Resh Lakish says in Masech Yuma, from all people, Resh Lakish, and it's the reason that he says it, Yuma Dav Pevav, the end of Masech Yuma, that G'dayla Tshuva, Shizdaynas Nasalei Kezachis. Tshuva is great because it converts sins into mitzvahs. How do you convert a sin into a mitzvah? They say that the Baditshever was once walking in Kippur, the Blevitzak of Baditshev, and he saw that there was a Jew who was violating Yom Kippur. He was either eating or smoking. So the Baditshever always had something good to say, right? So the Jew says, No, Rebbe, what do you have to say? So the Baditshever says, I am envious of you. He says, Why are you envious of me? So he tells her, The Baditshever says, Because if you do tshuva, your sins will be transformed into mitzvahs. Do you know how many mitzvahs you're going to have? I will never ever be able to have as many mitzvahs as you. Because this guy was a real sinner. So in true cynical fashion, he says, Rebbe, <coughs> wait till next year, Yom Kippur, and you'll be even more jealous. <laughs> you'll be even more jealous. That's the mice. And the end of the mice is that the guy, the man ultimately became a baltruva. But what's the Havana? The Marsha asks in Gemara there, he says, he doesn't understand. How do you have that the sinner benefits over the tzaddik. If I'm a tzaddik and I never sinned, I can only have 630 mitzvahs. If you sinned, you can have a million mitzvahs. Pork is a mitzvah, eating Yom Kippur is a mitzvah, everything is a mitzvah. All of eight is suddenly you have 365 new mitzvahs. 
Because every sin becomes a mitzvah. It says, It doesn't make sense. The guy who sins and does tshuva is greater than the tzaddik. Huh? No, he means just because, just because I never sinned, Nebach, because I never sinned, Nebach, he can't have so many mitzvahs. And the Marsha Taka learns the Gemara not Kipshut. Marsha says what Rish Lakish means is that about Shuvah, because of his remorse, he does extra mitzvahs. That's what he means. But the Lushan of the Gemara is Doinus Nasa like his Achias. Not that this Doinus compel him to do more mitzvahs. So the Balatanya says in Tanya Perik Zion, the seventh chapter of Zion, that it means Kipshutai. Why does it mean Kipshutai? So he says, Amoyed the Kivart. He says, There's no passion like the passion that comes when you tasted the opposite. When somebody was sick, they appreciate health in a different way. When somebody faced death, they appreciate life in a different way. When somebody almost lost a loved one, they appreciate their loved ones in a different way. And when somebody is in a desert, in a parched desert, and you give them a cup of cold water after two days of dehydration in a parched desert, there's nobody who appreciates that cup of water like them. So he says, somebody, the Balchuva, who sinned and fell and stumbled and lived a life that ultimately caused them to destroy themselves. When they rediscover truth, when they rediscover God, when they rediscover Aves Hashem, the love is a different type of love. It's fueled. The fuel that fuels the love is all the negative energy. The very sin becomes a mitzvah because it's the very sin that gives an impetus to the mitzvah, a depth, a sophistication, a passion, an enthusiasm, and a certain quality to their ava that nobody has. You could see it with people who are really in recovery. Really in recovery, not fake in recovery. That their very addiction is part of the recovery. What do I mean? You could see every day in them, and people who are very genuine. They're sober 25 years, but they still call themselves addicts. So they say they call themselves addicts because if they don't, they'll become addicts. Because they'll let go. There's something deeper, and that is that the addiction really fuels the recovery. It's the knowledge of the other side. It's the awareness of the destructiveness that gives their positivity, their morality, their authenticity a quality that is profoundly unique. Or to put it in different words, in more sharp words, and with this I want to finish, every mitzvah has heksher mitzvah. There's no mitzvah without heksher mitzvah. means what you do to prepare the mitzvah. Shaking a lulav, I have to go cut a, a, a branch of a palm tree. Shaking an esterich, I have to cut the esterich. Sitting in a sukkah, I have to build a sukkah. Putting on tefillin, I have to make tefillin. I have to take the height of an animal and make tefillin. There's no mitzvah that doesn't have a heksha mitzvah. What do you do to prepare for the mitzvah? Always. Every mitzvah has a You want to eat on Shabbos, you have to cook before Shabbos. So now I ask you a question. There's a mitzvah called tshuva. There's a mitzvah called tshuva. What's the heksha mitzvah for tshuva? Huh? What's the heksha mitzvah for tshuva? How do you prepare for tshuva? Sin. Right? But you have to sin to be mokshe from tshuva, right? But So here's what happens. When you sin, you sin. You went against Ratzon Hashem. When you do tshuva, retroactively you redefine your sin into a heksha mitzvah. That's what tshuva does. 
When you sinned, you sinned. You detached yourself from God. But when you do tshuva, lemafreya, retroactively, you redefine your sin. From a sin, it has a new gather. What's the gather? It was the heksher of tshuva. It was the springboard. It was the catalyst. Without it, you couldn't do tshuva. If you didn't sin, how could you do tshuva? And spiritually too, you wouldn't be able ever to experience this oneness without the sin. So now the sin is redefined as Hashem Mitzvah. So the Choshech creates a whole new type of order. Rebbe Kiva Eger had a grandson. His name was Rebbe Leibel Eger. Rebbe Leibel Eger became a Kotzke Chosut. So uh, he would daven somewhat late. He would have it somewhat late. So they once asked him about it. And he was a grandson of Akiva Eger. So he says, Meaning in halacha there's a schir yoyim and a kablam. Schir means you're employed by the hour. You work from nine to five. Schir yoyim. is, you don't work by the hour. You work by the job. It could be 24 hours. You work in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. So he says, some Jews with God, they're shiryoyims. They work with God by the hour. Okay, morning, shachris, mincha, plat, I'm done, have a good day, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, I don't work with God by the hours. I'm a compliment. I have, I have projects in this world. I'm, I'm full-time. I'm full-time. <laughs> Another, he was trying to bring out a sentiment that sometimes what happens is, you're just trying, okay, I did my duties, next, time for the barbecue, Right? I always say in shul, I always say, I'm not punked yesterday, I always say, I had a feeling yesterday, in shul when they finish an early plag, there's a certain simcha that people have. <laughs> the night is free, the night is off, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I met some time ago Eli Wiesel, Allah Shalom. So Eli Wiesel was a very interesting character, you know, he was born in Sigit, his family belonged to Vizhnitz. He was in Auschwitz, he was in Buchenwald, he lost most of his family. And he charted his own path in life. But he remained very involved in the world of, he used to learn Gemara every day. And he remained, he would sit and learn, he was very into learning and chassidus, a spiritual man also. He did Nobel, Nobel, uh, Nobel laureate. So I met him a few years ago. He was a friend of my father, so I knew him a little bit. So he tells me that he has this home in Connecticut where he vacations. And it's somewhere in Connecticut. And it bothers him. And the reason it bothers him is because he doesn't have a minion there. He was always mocked, but I think Shabbos to Davin in Fifth Avenue Synagogue in Manhattan. He doesn't have a minion. He doesn't have a shul. So it's very hard for him. So I told him that I once heard a Maisa that the Tzemach Tzedek had a son. His name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok. He became a Reb in a city called Avruch. Avruch, but his father was the Tzemach Tzedek. Chabad was a big focus on davening long, even be Yechidus, because they daven long, very long. So he went to Avruch, and he became a Rebbe there, the Mechut, and it was a different style. So one of the conditions his father-in-law made with him is, he has to daven with a minion, he has to daven with And he agreed, he agreed, that was like a condition. Now you got to conform to the standards here. Straight shooters. So uh, the first day after Shemabroch, so whatever, <laughs> the minion, I yell at him, and he's not here. Shemabroch, he showed up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly the dates. 
it's probably already a few, when he moved there, I don't know if it was after Shabbat or a year late, I don't know exactly the dates. I heard the story from the, I heard the story from the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself once, out of Fabrengen, he said the story. He said with a very nice geschmack, his, his father-in-law was named after him. His father-in-law, the Rayats, was named after this Jew, the son of the Tzamech because it was a, Zayda, a maternal Zayd of his, his mother's father. So Shver comes to him and says, I don't understand. He was a very Halaki. He knew that he was a holy Jew. So I don't understand. We made a deal. He says, No, no, no. I daven betzibur. I daven betzibur. He says, What do you mean? What do you mean? He says, How do you touch betzibur? He says, Well, with a minion. He says, Let me explain to you. Tzibur means you have to have all the ten koiches hanefesh by davening. All the ten koiches hanefesh. Chachma, bina, das, chesed, gvur, teferes, netzach, chayt, malchus. He said, It took me time to gather my minion. But I got it. I davened with a minion. I davened with him. So he just let him alone. He just left him alone. And that was the end of that. There's no question. There's two paths. You know, there's different. There's different. Uh, different ways that people connect. Okay. Obiradavar. Obiradavar. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You see seven lines from the bottom. Lamedches Amedbei Seitze seventy-five. Obiradavar to explain. Explain what. Explain why the Nisham had to come down in order to engage the animal soul. The source of the biological soul comes from a very lofty Madreger. End of Ayishlach, it says, These are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before the Jewish people had a king. So the Arizal explains this Pasuk of Elah Malachim that before Jews had a Melech, Malche Edom had Malachim. Spiritually, this means that the kings of Edom preceded the kings of the Jewish people. It's the end of Ayishlach, he goes through the whole list of Malche Edom, Lifnoi Malach Melech Lebnei Yisrael. Vayimlach, vayamaz, vayimlach, vayamaz, vayimlach, vayamaz. He goes through the list of all the Malchayadim there. So spiritually speaking, in Kabbalistic writings, this is described as the worlds that preceded the worlds, the world of Toyu that preceded the world of Tikkun, as we'll explain in a moment. So he's saying that the Edom, the kings of Edom preceded the Malchib and Israel. Spiritually, it refers to the animal soul versus the godly soul. The animal soul is a king, and the godly soul is a king. And the king of Edom was a king before the Jewish people had a king. It's just that this soul had a nefila, it went through a break, a breakdown, went through a shvir sakela, went through a spiritual breakdown called breaking of the vessels. With many concealments and restrictions, which causes it to eclipse and not experience the oneness of the infinity. The divine soul has the courage to separate and extricate the negativity or the brokenness from her. Because 
the divine soul will experience a love to Hashem that was deeper than its own love that it had before it came down to this world, even though it was godly. This is the meaning of the Pasuk, a man has two wives. One wife he loves, and one wife does not, he loathes. And the oldest son comes from the one that he doesn't like. So you might think that he can inherit his inheritance to the younger son because it's the son of the wife he loves. So the Pasuk says in Kiseitzeh, of the day of inheritance. He may want to give preferential, uh, ref, uh, right, unique treatment to the younger son because it's the son of the wife that he loves over the oldest son. The Pazik says in Kisaitzit Layuchalavakir is Bena Oval Pre Benasnua. Ki Benasnua Yakir losses Lai Pishnay and Bakalashi Matse Loi Kiloin Mishpatabhir. He has to get it. The oldest son. So the whole Pasik is strange, this whole scenario. So now he comes to this punchline. The two children represent the two souls. Vahaya Habena Pchar Lisnia, the oldest child belongs to the animal soul. From the animal soul, which is snua, which is beloved. From there you have the b'chor. The malchi edoim were the b'chor. They were the oldest. They came before Malach Melech Lebnei Yisrael. This needs some hesber, needs some beer here. Especially since he sold the b'chor. Who Esau? Right, right. Very good. Very good. The problem is, we usually sell our divine soul, not our animal soul. <laughs> That's the problem. You have to know which soul to sell. <laughs> the Shirish, right. So, when the Pasuk says in Vayishlach, right there, the blue one. <coughs> the end of Parshas Vayishlech, it's a strange, you know, it's one of these Parshas with all the names, so people don't, uh, <laughs> people don't focus on it much. But it's like it comes in as a, uh, in the whole story of Esau, and the lineage of Esau, it says, here are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before Jews ever had a king. Now, the first king of the Jewish people would be Shaul. So suddenly we're going throughout this whole history. And he starts off, the first king was Bela, he came from Dinhava, Bela died, the next was Yoivav, Yoivav died, the next was Chusham, Chusham died, the next is Hadad, Hadad dies, the next is Samla, Samla dies, the next is Shaul, this is all for Malchi Edom, Shaul dies, the next is Balchanan, Balchanan dies, the next is Hadar. And here we learn about his wife, Mehetavel, and he somehow never dies. I mean, I assume he died, but he doesn't die uh, in, the, in the work of Chumash. And these are the Malchayadim. So what is this? So in Kabbalistic literature, the writings of the Arizal, this is like a whole big drama. This, this parshat, this is the end of Vayishlach, it's like a whole big sugya. It basically is called Malchay Oilam Hatayu. Spiritually, the kings of the world of chaos, which preceded the first king of the Jewish people, which would be the kings of the world of Tikkun, of healing. Rashi says that there's a list of eight kings here. Eight kings. And uh, ultimately, 
from the Jewish people, there will be another eight kings. The first one would be Shaul, and Shaul would have a son, Ishboishes, and they would have David, and then Shlaima, and Rechavam, and Avia, and Asa, Yehoshaphat, and then Yoram his, uh, Yoram, uh, Yoram his son. And after that, Edom would come back to power. Okay, that's how people shot. What is the idea here? Basically, it's brought in Medrash and Bereshis that Hashem is Baina Olamis Machrivan. He didn't just build our world, he built worlds and he destroyed them. In Hilcha Shabbos, we have a concept called Saiser Al Minas Livnais. If you demolish a home on Shabbos, biblically, it's not forbidden. Unless you're doing it with a productive objective to renovate. It's called Saiser Al Minas Livnais. You demolish with the condition to rebuild. Stam the Kalkel, Stam to ruin, take out a brick because. You put him in Atayim. The Rabbanon it's also, but call him a kalkul in Pturim. It's almanas livnas. The same is true. This boyna almanas lister. You build in order to demolish. So this concept in halacha originates in Nister, from the way creation happened. The Rabbanon Shalolim built for worlds initially almanas lister, and then he destroyed them almanas livnas. One is called Olam Hatoyu, the world of chaos. It destroyed itself. On the debris of that world, he created a new world called Olam HaTikun. The kings of Toyo are called Malchi Edom. The kings of Tikkun are called Malchi Bnei Yisrael. They're also associated with Esav and Yaakov. Esav comes from, Esav is Edom, he's the father of Edom. Esav was called Edom, because he was red, right? Ha'adom, ha'aliteidi namina, ha'adom, ha'adom hazeh. He's associated with Edom and Adom. And Yaakov is, of course, associated with Bnei Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael, the children of Yaakov. So it's two kings. A king represents a leader, a monarch, a melech. There's kingship in the world of Toyu and the world of Tikkun. What does it represent spiritually? Olam HaToyu preceded Olam HaTikkun. When we say preceded, we don't mean in time. We mean in concept. What does it mean it preceded it? It's higher than the world of Tikkun. In fact, when it says, Ha'aretz Ha'isa Soyu Vavoyu, V'ruach HaLekimer HaChefes HaPnei HaMayim, according to the Arizal, that refers to Olam HaToyu. Soyu Vavoyu, V'ruach HaLekimer HaChefes. And then comes, then starts Olam HaTikun, the world of correction, the world of healing. What's the difference between this world and that world, and why was the first world destroyed? And when I say he built the world, we mean a spiritual world, spiritual universe. The idea of Toyu was, very bekitzer, everything in the world is a marriage of two things, of Oyer and Keli, of light, energy, and vessels. There's nothing in the world that functions without this marriage. Energy and containers. Oyer, the light, the power, the passion, the gusto, and the keli, the <coughs> container to harness it, to facilitate it, to implement it. You have a dream. Your dream is you're going to make a lot, a lot of money, and you're going to change the world. The dream is the energy. <laughs> the keli is the overhead. <laughs> Getting it done. Getting it done is always the hard part, because you always have to limit your dream, harness your dream. Implementation is always Caleb. You need new people. You need money. You need investors. You need a plan. You need a strategy. And many dreams die in that process. You have a dream. You're going to write a book. You're going to create an institution. You create a business, an organization, a movement, a website, a com- whatever it is. You're going to make a change. That's Oyer. But then there's the Kaylee, the limitation of it. The Kaylee always limits it. The writer is the Oyer. The editor is the Kaylee. Anybody here who ever wrote knows that writers despise their editors because the editor of a newspaper 
always knows the article has to be 805 words, not a word more. The writer was having an emotional, artistic experience. He wrote an article of 4,000 words. And every word is indispensable in his imagination. The editor takes a look at it. The guy opens the newspaper. Finster in the Eugen. He wants to kill himself. He calls up the editor. You destroyed a piece of art. Huh? <laughs> I have a lot of experience with this. Because my father was an editor for many, many years. And the writers would call up the morning after the newspaper was published. And it was a few hours of therapy and, and comfort and so forth. He used to tell me, he says, A Schreiber starb nicht von Herzfällerin. A starb von Druckfällerin. A writer doesn't die from heart failure. He dies from print failure. From mistakes in the article. That's what kills him. He finds a mistake. Never mind there's a mistake. Yeah. So what's the idea? The writer is experiencing it from his perspective. He's an artist. He wants to express himself. The editor is thinking about, I have to fill up this page. This page has place for 800. There's an ad that has to go in. Without the ad, I can't support my newspaper. So the article has to be cut in half. And he's looking at it from a business point of view. He's looking at it from the audience. The audience can't read 4,000 words. I know my audience. They're ADDs. Even 800 words they can barely read. They need two paragraphs. Tell me what you want to say and say it, right? Today, CNN and others, they give you in the beginning of an article highlights of the article. People read four lines and that's enough. <laughs> Who has time? So it's two perspectives. From the perspective of Oyer, everything is uninhibited. From the perspective of Kaylee, everything is limited. Music is light. Musical notes are the Kalim for the music. You have an idea for a book, that's the Oyer. The actually words of the, the letters and words that make up the book, that's the Kaylee. And everybody knows you have a great idea, now sit down and write it down. When you have to write it down, you have to do surgery and surgery again and surgery again. Because writing, taking the vision and channeling it into words is always limiting it. And whenever you have to limit it, it's very, very difficult. It challenges you to be be, uh, meticulous and precise. It's very challenging. The marriage of Oyd and Kaylee. Take a marriage. Take marriage. What's the Oyd of marriage? Romance, love, camaraderie, all the nice, beautiful words. But what's the Kaylee of marriage? Take out the garbage. Take out the garbage. That's what it's about. Buy me a bottle of milk. There's a leak in the bathroom. Okay, it's leaks. It's basically fixing leaks, right? Now, what happens in life is people have talents in different areas. Some people are artists, some people are businessmen, right? Some people are great with energy. Some people don't even know what energy means. <laughs> they just look at everything and they see the bottom line. They see how it affects the people. They look at it, so to speak, from a financial... Finance is always about Caleb, because it's always the bottom line. Is the product going to be bought? It's not about creativity, or adventure, or self-expression. Oir is rich. Kalim are brutal. Oyer despises Kaylee. Kaylee is the quintessential enemy of Oyer. Kaylee is always chopping and cutting and channeling and implementing and limiting like a vessel. A vessel always limits the light and limits the energy. This marriage in life is critical. Nothing happens without the marriage of Oyer and Kaylee. Some artists died as anonymous, hopeless uh, beggars, even though in their basement they had the most beautiful pieces of art. 
because they wouldn't conform to the brutal, uh, uh, what was Reality. the word? Huh? The brutal realities of the market. And then 200 years later, somebody discovers them, and suddenly they become, you know, $20 million a painting. But that happened 200 years later. The poor guy died without a penny, a penny in his wallet. Because kalim are always brutal. Kalim is how it's going to be received. Eir is about the energy. It all begins with Hashem, like everything. The marriage of the world, the, throughout all the worlds, is a marriage of two divine forces called Iris and Caleb. When we speak about Hashem's Chachma or Chesed or Gvura, the ten building blocks of creation, known as the ten spheres, there's the Eir of the sphere and there's the Kali of the sphere. Chesed, there's the love and there's the implementation of the love. Netzach, Netzach is ambition. I'm ambitious, but how am I going to implement my ambition? And the same is true with every single faculty. There is the energy of it, and then there is the keli of it. Keli is gvura, have a tremendous desire to discipline, to create structure. But how do you do it? You walk into a classroom, you walk, you're hired as a new principal of a school. The school is absolute chaos. It's a school in the Bronx, or Brooklyn, whatever, wherever it is. It's absolute chaos, right? Suddenly you're going to make rules that nobody's allowed to walk anymore. And nobody's allowed to talk anymore. It's not going to work. You have to have the keli. You have to channel your vision into concrete, limiting steps. A couple has a crisis in their marriage. They want to fix it. What are the kalim for it? All spheres have iris and kalim. Now, here's the difference of toyu and tikkun. In toyu, the iris were infinite because God is infinite. So his faculties were infinite. So therefore, the kalim vessels could not contain the light because each light was infinite. So what happens? What happens is there was a head-and-head collision between the various energies. They collide with each other because each one is infinite. Not only that, each one dies from their own pressure. Their own weight is so heavy that it shatters their own vessel, their own container. So what do they have? They have what's called in Kabbalah, Shviras HaKelim. Whenever you see the word Shviras HaKelim, it's the breaking of the vessels. The vessel is having too much pressure, just like a wire. The voltage of electricity is too much, and the wire is not a cable. What happens to the wire when the voltage is overwhelming? What happens? It burns up, and it's destroyed forever. You can't use it anymore. Kali is brutal, but if you want to channel it into a real reality where there are recipients... If the newspaper doesn't have readers, I don't care if you write a 4,000 page. You can write 20,000 words in your article, but i got to print it, and i got to publish it, and i got to sell it. And the printer says, sorry, if I do another page, it's another $10,000. I have to cut it. You understand? It's all, the dem- so to speak, the demands of the market. Sometimes it's cynical. Sometimes it's not cynical. It's just the idea of living in a world where there are recipients. Not everybody is me. It's not just about my expression. You have two types of teachers. You have teachers who love expressing themselves, and you have teachers who know how to penetrate the minds of the students. It's a different art. I remember once a Rosh Hashiva came to Yeshiva, he was a Baki Bishas, and you could see from the Shia that he was a Baki Bishas. The problem is, nobody knew a word that he's talking about. So everybody went away impressed and overwhelmed, but not affected. They were like, wow, okay, he knows his stuff. There's another person who speaks in a way that a five-year-old kid can understand. Not because he knows less. He may know less, or actually he may know more. But he has the ability to come down into Caleb. 
Kalim means you focus on the vessels. You contain the wisdom in a way that it's limited and focused on the recipients. Huh? Chachma has oir and keli, bina has oir and keli. But you're right, generally Chachma is more oir and bina is more kelim. Generally. But in each one there's oir and keli. But you're right, generally the idea of Chachma is oir, the seminal flash, the overwhelming inspiration, and bina is the keli, the assimilating it into a, a structured idea. Generally speaking, you're right. Chachma is more oir and bina is more keli. In Toihu, which is the original universe of God, the iris are uninhibited. And therefore, it's a much more pure world, a much more real world, a more authentic world. Everything is expressed fully. The kalim are not allowed to interfere with full divine infinite expression. But what happened? There was a churban, shviras kalim. The kalim broke. Imagine my ambition, my love has no barriers. My love has no barriers. Forrest Gump. My love has absolutely no boundaries. It's very refreshing, right? You know what I mean? But you could get into a little trouble. For starters, you take your son, your baby, and you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you hug him and hug him and hug him and you don't stop. And you choke the poor kid physically. But what about emotionally? You can also choke somebody because the love has no boundaries. The love has no barriers. So you need restraint. That's Caleb. You have ambition. But if you have ambition without Caleb, you become a bulldozer. You become a bulldozer. I remember I was lecturing when Sharon uh, expelled the Jews from Gush Katif in summer uh, 2005, right? This time, August 2005. I said, Sharon, they always call Sharon a bulldozer. I said, the problem is sometimes the bulldozer goes the other way. <laughs> it's still a bulldozer. It doesn't always go this way. Sometimes it goes the other way. And it bulldozes. It knows no inhibition. And he was talking about bulldozer. In terms of personality, the same is true with everything. So Toyu, in many ways, was refreshing, but destructive. In many ways, it's the, the Tikkun is the other way around. Oiris mu'atim, bekelim merubim. In Tikkun, the oir is diminished, but the keli is large and broad. So everything endures, but it's a much more limited form of energy. It's structured. It endures, it has longevity, but it doesn't have the uninhibited creativity and idealism of Tayu. In many ways, it's the difference between teenagers and adults. You know what I mean? Teenagers are generally young people are very idealistic. You remember when you were young? At least some youngsters, if, if they're allowed to be idealistic, they're naturally idealistic. They can also afford to be idealistic. Right? In campuses, you always see young people are always, usually, they're liberal. They're very liberal. They can afford it. Huh? Until they're mugged. Whatever, I don't know. Whatever the situation is. But the point is, the point is, you're young. You're changing the world. You're very idealistic. You can also sleep for two weeks. You can also sleep for two weeks. And life is sometimes not structured. You're up all night, but you're dreaming. Usually people get older, they get a little more cynical, they get much more structured, but they have a certain hisyashvas. It's just a muscle for these two trends. So toyu is really much higher, but it doesn't last. Tikkun is lower, but it lasts. Now think about it in spiritual terms. Toyu was a divine world. What happens when there was a shvirisa kelim? So there was, a, so to speak, a tremendous explosion. 
spiritual explosion. So what happens now with the breaking of the vessels? Those vessels that are broken have fragments of light. But the light is now not cohesive. It's disoriented. And it's not connected with its source. So you have fragments of light that are really very deep, but they don't recognize who they really are. The world of Tikkun, the lights always recognize who they are because they're channeled in vessels. So essentially you have here the story of the two souls. The godly soul and the animal soul. Or you have the story of Yaakov and Esav. The Balatanya says in Torah Erva Yishlach, Yaakov's neshama came from Tikkun. Esav's neshama came from Toyo. That's why Esav was a chaotic boy. Now Esav fell much lower than Yaakov. Morally, he was a failure. But Yitzchak loved him and wanted always to elevate him and wanted to give him the brachas, not Yaakov. Because Yitzchak saw in Esav where he came from. When you look at somebody who may be shattered and fragmented, look where they came from. In other words, look at their potential. Look what caused the fragmentation. It may be because they were in a much higher space and they couldn't contain their own light. To put it in simple contemporary English, the system could not contain their energy. They could not fit into a box. So what happens? They break all the systems. Why? Not because they're lower, because they have more light, and nobody knows how to house their light. I see this all the time. You find young people, shattered lives, but tremendous air. But they don't even know about their own light because it's shattered. But it's everywhere. It's like sometimes you have, I remember I once saw a person walking in the studio who was talking to himself. So I have a certain meshichet to these types of people. And I was listening and there were fragments of genius that were coming out of his mouth. But nothing cohesive. And then I understood Shri Sakela. You know the, the story about that pianist in Australia? They made a whole uh, book on it. Was it called The Piano? The Sun and Shine was a story about a Jewish kid, a pianist. You know what I'm talking about? A whole book was written, a film, a book, the piano, something. A Jewish kid, a pianist, a genius, and his father pressured him nonstop. And he had a breakdown. He had a breakdown. It's a nice Shahaya. He lived in Australia. And he would sit down at a piano afterwards, and brilliant pieces would come out, but nothing cohesive, because he wasn't a structured person. He had such powerful genius, but he had no vessels. The vessels shattered. So the genius is still there. But it comes out in a completely non-cohesive, non-organized way. That's the tragedy of Toyu. What's the purpose of it? Tikkun is not built after Toyu was cleaned up. Tikkun is built on the debris of Toyu. Because we face Toyu. And the purpose is that Tikkun should look at Toyu, should see its potential and elevate it, bring it back, and in that process, Tikkun is elevated too, because Toyu has something refreshing that Tikkun doesn't have on its own. Whenever you look at your life and you have something that is very chaotic, it usually has sparks of Toyu there. So you're not supposed to run away from it, you want to elevate it. This is the story of Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov needs Esav as much as Esav needs Yaakov. Okay? So the animal soul comes from Toyu. That's why it has much more strength than the divine soul. That's why it's easier to become addicted to Gashmi's than it is to Ruchmi's. Why? Because Toyu is more intense. The problem of the animal soul is that its true authentic power was lost in translation. It went through a breakdown. 
It literally went through Abraham. So it doesn't recognize its godliness anymore. It has tremendous power, tremendous animal power, but it doesn't, re- it doesn't know how spiritual it is, how holy it is. So it tells the godly soul, let's become addicted to gambling, to alcohol, to food, to, to websites, whatever it is. So the godly soul could do two things. It could surrender to the animal soul. And then it betrays not only itself, but also the animal soul. Because really the animal soul is looking for sublimation. Or it could say, I'll be here for you because I know who you really are. That's the depth. I know who you really are. Because I know who you really are, I'll elevate you. And it heals the animal soul. And in that process, the animal soul elevates the divine soul. Anybody has a chumash? Is there a chumash? Okay, so here, towards the end of the Mimer, the Balatanya brings it all together, coming back to the original Posik on which this Mimer was based in the beginning of Kiseitzin. So let, let's remind ourselves the Posik here. The Posik says in the beginning of Kiseitzin that a man has two wives. One is beloved and one is unloved. This is, of course, in a time when polygamy was... Uh, permissible before Rabbi Gershom's prohibition. We're talking about Chumash. So he has two wives. One beloved, one loathed. Snua means uh, unloved, right? Hated or loathed. And uh, they both have children. The issue is that the Bechayr belongs to whom? To the Snua. To the woman that is not loved. Now comes the time of Yerusha. In other words, he passes away. So it's the time of inheritance. So he may want to give preference to son number two, the younger son, because this is the, it's the son of the woman that he loves. Even though it's not his pchayr, it's not his first boy, it's his second boy. He's younger, but nonetheless, he wants to give him preferential treatment because the wife he loves, so he's his, you know, his uh, his beloved child. So he says, Lo It doesn't work that way. He cannot give him bikr. He cannot give him preference. Who gets double? Double gets the pchor ben hasnua. This is his first strength. He gets the, the pchor. He gets pishnayim kenegishnayach. Now as I explained in the beginning, halachically, you could give a gift to whoever you want. I mean, a father could take all of his money and before he passes away, distribute it uh, for elephant research in Indonesia or to save turtles in New Zealand, which may be a very good option, better than giving it to your kids. I don't know. But uh, depends on your kids, I guess. In other words, you can give gifts to whoever you want. I mean, you could do whatever you want, right? You can give it all away to your shriger if you want. I mean, you could do whatever you want with your money. You're a balabas. 
The question here is not a matana. The question here is Yerusha. Yerusha is a different genre in halacha than matana. A gift, I can do what I want. And the guy dies, he's broke. Okay, tough luck. You know, $20 left in the bank account. So his children are left with a Yerusha. It may even be, in some cases, it may even be beneficial because they won't get into a fight. Right? And somebody once told me, he says, when you see mishpachas that get along very well, probably the guy died broke. <laughs> if he would have died with money, they would not be, they would not be on, uh, on this level of a relationship. Can you give your money as a gift in a will? Actually? Yeah. Yeah, you want to give as a gift, as a matana, right? You could write, okay, you want to give a matana. And if you want to give to your third or second son everything as a gift, I don't think it's a wise thing to do, but as a matan. But as no a, as Yerusha, yeah. But I can't say I'm going to inherit, right? The second one is going to inherit this amount, and the f- first is going to that. Mitzadina Yerusha, your master mashakos of There's a constitution of Torah that mitzadinim of inheritance. The pechar gets double. Altsmatana. Before, but it has to be before, yeah. Because Yerusha is after death. Right, so that's what he says, that it could be, you have to make... Well, there's the mechanism. Kinyanim, I mean, there's a mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do the mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, the question is, why does the Torah have to get so dramatic? That's the question. With two wives. You have two... Why do you need this whole... The Torah builds up this whole drama. The most halachas, just say the halacha. You're not allowed to do this, do this. Why here suddenly we have a whole drama? He married two wives, one he likes, one... Let's say he married one wife, and let's say he loves her. Right? And the oldest son and the second son. And he wants to give the second son. You need two wives there. And, and, and what if he... Lo- what do you need this whole... Uh, this whole drama. The halach is a simple halach. Pchor gets double. That's it. Whether you're in a good mood or in a bad mood. Whether you like him or you don't like him. Whether he's this or he's that. Whether he ended up in the yeshiva you wanted him to end up or he quit. Whatever the situation is. The Torah here makes up a whole story... It doesn't have to do with two wives. It doesn't have to do with you love, you don't love. In every situation, just say, the Pechayrev gets double. That's the Shaila in this Pasuk. That's the Shaila. And it's a Peladika thing, what the Torah is trying to say. So just to bring it together, I brought here, I once saw, I once saw a Misa in a Sefer, a very interesting story with the Vilna gone. I want to share it with you, because you'll see it's interesting how to take the same meaning and look at it from different perspectives. Because here in this Maimah, really, the background is that he's addressing this question. He's partially addressing this question. And uh, explaining why the Pasa goes through this whole drama. Let me just open it up here. Parshish Kisaitse.
Yeah, yeah, the only one. The only one that I know. So there's a sefer Kaila Liyahu. Kaila Liyahu, they bring Taita from the Vilna Gon. Kaila Liyahu, his name was Rebeliyahu. Rebeliyahu, Bereb Shloim Azalman Kramer. That was the name of the Vilna Gon. Rebeliyahu, Bereb Shloim Azalman Kramer. You should just know. Passed away Sukkis, Chalamayit Sukkis, Tafkuf Nun Ches. 1797. Okay? So now remember what he's trying to bavarin. First of all, he says the text seems a little contradictory. Why? First it states that the man has children from where? From the loved wife and the unloved wife. Right? So the Lushan is, They both give birth, the Ahuva and the Snua. Okay. Then the Torah says, But the Lushan is, it's interesting. The order is, it says, Who's first? The Ahuva. Then it says, So it should have said, Why did it say first Ahuva Vasnua? That's number one. Right. Question number two. It says, he can't choose as Pchur the son of the un, of of the beloved woman, right? What's the Havamina? <laughs> you can't make the second son the first son. <laughs> you could say the first son is the Pchur, the Pchur gets Pishnayim. What what would we think? If the title would just say a pchari gets pichnaim, so what would we think? If I decide you become the pchari, you're number two. How could you become number one? What what are you telling me? Just say the pchari gets pichnaim. The, the old joke where right? the guy comes to shul, they're looking for a kayan. right? So this guy says he wants to become a kayan, he's ready to pay money. So finally, Rav says, "Why do you want to be a kayan?" He says, "His father was a kayan, his grandfather was a kayan, so he also wants to be a kayan. So he's ready to pay a lot of money and and go through the training." Now the Torah says, why can't you do it? He is his first power, right? So therefore, <laughs> you're telling me like this. This is repetitive. Yeah. Why? Because he's the Pchayr. <laughs> so what's the explanation? You can't, you can't change it. You can't make number two number one. Because he's number two. It seems it's a little redundant. And Bechlal, the whole story, just say the halach. So this is the maise they bring. There was a man married. He got divorced shortly after his marriage. Before they got divorced, she became pregnant. 
He's married a wife. They got divorced shortly after, but she managed to become pregnant. He rapidly remarried. His second wife became pregnant and gave birth to a boy prematurely, even prior to the first wife who was divorced. She gave birth to her full-term boy. The, The divorced wife's family, the first wife who he divorced, they claim that their child is the Pcher. He was conceived first. <laughs> she was married to him first, obviously. He was conceived first. The second wife, the new wife, her counterclaim was that since her child was born first, because her child was born premature, so even though she became pregnant later, because she was the second wife, he first divorced the first wife, but since her baby was born first, so therefore he's the Pcher. Now the man was a very wealthy man. He died, so whoever would get double would get a very nice sum of money. So there was a big machlaikas. The first son, Tainet, the son of the first wife, the ex-wife, said, he's the Pcher, because obviously I was conceived first. The second one said, no, he's the Pcher, because he was born first. They came to the Vilna God. So he said, the case in Taita, this story in Taita, this is your story. That's what he said, immediately, immediately. <laughs> so gone said immediately. And this is, he said, now analyze the text, you'll see it's your story. He says, You have two wives. Right? Two children were born to one man in the following order. The Ahuva and the Snua. First the beloved, and then the one who wasn't beloved. Because the second wife gave birth first, right, full term. So therefore, first the Ahuva, then the Snua. But But the the divorced wife's son, he was conceived first. Mitzad Yoldu, Mitzad Yoldu, Mitzad birth, Dahuva came before the Snua. But the Pchair, who was conceived first, the ex-wife, she conceived first because that was his first wife. Because the husband divorced her before marrying the second wife. Obviously, this conception happened before. So now... Oh, oh, so that's the question. What defines Pcher? The one who was firstly conceived or the one who was born? So usually, usually, we don't have this question, right? Because <laughs> if you were born first, you were conceived. Ah, 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 one second. So do we follow the first child to be conceived or do we file the first child to be born? So the Vilna Gon said, V'hoya ben Pcher the real Pchay is the Sneer, in other words, the son of the unloved wife. So he said, what is the Torah saying? Ki hu reishis oinoi, v'loi mishpat ha-pchayra, ben ahuva. What's the Havamina? The Havamina, he was born first. Of course he could say. So the Torah has to give this whole pilpul. Ki hu reishis oinoi. What's oinoi? It says by Yaakov that he said to Reuven, reishis koichi v'reishis oinoi. So what does Rashi say? It was the first seed. Loira Zera. This was he was never at Balkari. The first seed of Yaakov Avinu was Ruven. So what's Rashis Ainai? The first seed. Who was the first seed? The Benasnua. Kihu Rashis Ainai. Loi Mishpatabchaida. The God said Abchaida is defined by somebody with one who was first conceived. That's why the Torah says, Lo Yuchalavake. Why would you think? Maybe he could give preference, because the Pchayid is really the second one, because he was born first. 
That's where the Torah says, it's his first power. So the Mela, from Yaakov Avinu, we learn what Reishis Oini is, and this is how the Vilna Gaon pasked. it. One second, the story is not over. Comes the Valojne Rosh Hashiva. The Nitziv was the Valojne Rosh Hashiva, Rabbeinu Naftali Tzvi the Berlin, right? Who lived a century or a few decades after the Vilna Gaon, passed away a century after the Vilna Gaon. And he writes, V'sheker, V'sheker, Hoidu Bishmoi. This is a blood libel on the Vilna Gaon. He never said this. Why? The Nitziv says that it's inconceivable, pun intended, to say that the Bechar follows conception, not birth. He says it's ridiculous. The Shulchan Aruch clearly says in Chesha Mishpat, in Simon uh, Reish Pei Zayin, clearly, the Shulchan Aruch, it's, uh, it's, he says it's, it's uh, clearly, I mean it seems, it seems pretty apparent that a Bechar is defined by birth, and therefore he says it's inconceivable that the the Vilnagon, uh, the Vilnagon says this. However, however, although the Nitziv completely rejects the statement by the Vilnagon, it's interesting that it's recorded by the Pshloima Kluger, who was one of the biggest poiskim of his time, the Rav of Brod, in the name of Reb Chaim Valozhin, who was the Talmud Muvik of the Vilnagon. Clearly in Chaysha Mishpat and Simen Reish Peiches, in Shulchanar, Chachmus Shloima from Reb Shloima Kluger, he says it in the name of Reb Chaim Valozhin. So it doesn't seem to be, and Epshloim Mekluga was a huge Paisik, it does, very reliable. So it's not such a stretch to say that Epshloim Mekluga heard it from the, from the Vilna Gaon. But here's the problem. Problem is, the Lechaida, this flies against the Yaakov and Esau story. Right? Because let's remember, until Yaakov bought the Epshloim from Esau, who was the Epshloim? Esau. That says clearly in the Torah. But who was formed first? Who was conceived first? What does Rashi say? There was a Shmeiferis, right? And which was the first Tipa? Yaakov. And then came Esav. So Esav came out first. According to the Vilnagon's understanding, Yaakov Avinu should have been the Pchair, right? He should have been the Pchair. Huh? Okay, so it's interesting. So some say, some say that you have to distinguish between twins, because twins is one conception. Twins is one conception. In our case, there were two conceptions. He remarried. There was one conception, so therefore you go according to birth. With two distinct conceptions, the Gaon would say, according to the Pshlein Mekluger, Chaim Velozhna would say, maybe you go according to conception. Yaakov and Esau were formed from the same seed, from the same Zara. So therefore, the only remaining criteria has to be based on, based on birth. Okay. So that's, that's one way of... of Answering this uh, this contradiction. Right. So Rashi says because his seed came in first. But the question is, why did he have to buy it? According to the Vilna Gaon, this was the halacha. He gets the double. Okay. Now, whether the Nitziv is right that it's mamash sheke sheke, he does not not good as this because can go according is an interesting question in halacha. Right, because the pastors we go according to birth. You're right. No question that the taich in the pasuk is a taich. <laughs> it's a powerful taich in the pasuk. Now we come to the next step. Uh, 
What would be the svara to say like this or to say like this? What would be the svara to say p'chor l'zriya or p'chor l'hailada? What would be the svara? So the shayla is, why would a p'chor get double? What, what, why? Just because you're born first, you get double? I'm the baby of the family. The baby of the family, always the muzinik, right? Anybody here is a p'chor? Is any p'chor here? So psychologically, the p'chor versus the other kids, right? It's not so simple to be a p'chor. That's what they say. The p'chor is complicated psychologically. Because in many ways, he's like the intermediary between the parents and the children. I mean, I guess every person is complicated psychologically. But for a p'chor, we have other excuses. They make all the mistakes on the first They make all the mistakes. Pishnayim. All the issues in the family comes out by the p'chor pishnayim. So that's why he gets double. Because <laughs> he was the guinea pig. Huh? He was the guinea pig. All the mistakes of mommy and tati they made on the p'chor. By the time the baby is born, everything is already picture perfect. So the p'chor, to compensate him for the pain, he gets pishnayim. But what's taka devort in the title that the p'chor gets pishnayim? So the Meshachachma, the Ursameach, Rabbi Simcha Koyin of Dvinsk, Tainiz, he says as follows. Listen to this. A Pchor changes the game of life for the parents. Before that, what does the Pchor do? Before that, husband and wife are individual people. I am I, you are you. Our first child turns us into parents. And that's really a definition of a transformation of status. Before you're married, you push the bachelor, you do mamish whatever you want. You sleep whenever you want, you eat whenever you want, fine. You, go, you run away for two weeks. Even after you're married, you're still individuals. You know, you can go out, everybody could do and so forth. Now you became a father, you became a mother. So this is a new role. So the Meshach Chachma says, it's basically a doubling of titles. The Pechor turned you into a double person. So quit per quo, he gets double. That's what he says. In other words, you moved from spouse to parent. It's a transition from, uh, let's put it this way, from a donation to a commitment. <laughs> from an individual person to a person who carries responsibility for another person's life. You're not just quasi-dependent on each other, but absolute responsibility. You have a baby. So there's almost a new personality that is born in you. And it's an awesome, scary, and beautiful place to be. Now, I should say, for some fathers, it takes a few kids for them to register. But they're actually parents. Mothers usually figure it out pretty fast for natural scientific reasons, which we don't have to uh, elaborate. But that's because men sometimes, you know, it takes some time. I told the women yesterday at the Shear, and uh, they really appreciated it, and I'm sure you also will. Why is it that psychoanalysis works more successfully with men than with women? So I said, because psychoanalysis tries to bring you back to your childhood, and they're there already. <laughs> So I didn't have to say more. Whatever I could say, whatever I said afterwards, it was just, uh, it was just funny. It's funny. You're laughing. If I would say this to women about women, they wouldn't look at me anymore. And that itself is the difference between men and women. But I'm not going to say that to the women. I'm not going to. Huh? Yeah. In some ways we get it. Yeah. In some ways we get it. Right. So, uh, so that's why Hashem is called. In other words, that's why the pchayr becomes a double person. So he gives his parents a new role, a double role. Till I am a father, ich bin a mensch, hopefully. Once I become a father, I'm not just a mensch. I'm a superman, or I'm supposed to be a superman. No, in other words, you become a new cheftzer. A new There's a new cheftzer, so that's why he gets double, because he made them into double. That's, that's, uh, that's one vart. Um, uh, 
beyond that, there's another Nekuda. And that is, Rashi says, it says in Bereshus, Al-Kain Yazav Ish, Es Aviv Es Imoi V'davak Be'ishtoi, V'hoyu L'Basar Echad. So Rashi says, what's the Basar Echad? How do you become one flesh? Through the child, you become one flesh. Because the child is, of course, a combination of Tati and Mami together. The chromosomes of, of the genes of the father and the genes of the mother becomes one person. So in other words, a child binds husband and wife. It's not simply the co-mingling of genetic material. Yes, that too. But it's not only the greater need to converse, to discuss life, to, uh, you know, we need more diapers and... We need to find a preschool, and we need to find the yeshiva. We need more formula. We need more money. I mean, that also happens. But rather, the child represents a bria chadasha. There's, you look at the child, and who do you see? You see your wife, and you see yourself. That's who you see. It's a numetzias in which husband and wife become actually one. And in that sense, their oneness is immortalized. That's what we say, a binyan adayad. It's immortalized. It's a product of three partners, as the Gemara says, in Nidda Gimel Shutfan Hashem So therefore, it's a unity of two neshamas that come out in a very, uh, in a very real sense. If that's the case, the Pchayr brings out two objectives. Number one, husband and wife receive new roles, known as father and mother. So this is like a quantum leap in their responsibility. And number two, husband and wife are now bound together in a sheer destiny because the Bechur unifies their neshamas and really concretizes their sheer aspirations, hopefully, hopefully through this child. So now we go like this. How do you touch the word of a Bechur? Okay. If the Bechur gets double, why? Because he turned you into a father. When does that happen? That happens with birth. But if the Bechari gets double, because, because he made you one, where does that happen? That happens in conception. So that's the two Svaris, how to learn it. If it's Mitzad, the responsibility, that happens because in birth. You become a father in birth. You're not called a father before, a mother before. Even though the Hachan happens before. But if it's the word of Ahoyo Labasar Echad, the Labasar Echad starts right away in the womb, starts with conception. If that's what the Bechayr accomplishes, it took the husband and the wife, doesn't only make them more responsible, but instead of being individuals, it turned them into a new Chefts, a new Mitzin. That's why he gets Pich Nayim. So then that happens with Ziyah. That you could say, Lefiani Yizdaiti, the Svara of the two Eifanim, the Nitziv, and Abchayim Valajaner, how you learn the Gedder of Bechayr. I'll call upon him. This is how he touches the Pasuk. Now, if you take a look at the Balatanya's Peter Shir Lakutatayra, he touches also the whole Pasuk and explains why the Torah has to go through this whole story. But here the Taich assumes from a halachic concrete manifestation, it's elevated or it's uh, transferred to a higher plane, to a higher world or to a spiritual world, dealing with the spouses that exist within the soul itself. And they have two children. That refers to the fact that every soul is married to two wives. That's the two souls of the Nefesh HaLakis and the Nefesh HaBahamas. It's not just a Misa that happens at, you know, once in a thousand years, a Misa, but rather it's a story that happens every single day. 
There's the child that's born from the godly soul. There's the child that's born from the beastly soul. The sensitive spiritual Jew struggles with one wife and loves another wife. He struggles with his animal soul constantly. And he loves his godly soul. Each one produces different results. Naturally, you want to give preferential treatment to your godly soul and abandon your animal soul. And the Chiddush of Torah because the animal soul is Ben Habchor. The reason it's Ben Habchor is its Shorish comes from Olam Hatoyu, which precedes Olam Hatikun. So therefore, even though you're naturally inclined to repress, suppress, crush, break, destroy, mortify, reject, and hate a part of you, and you don't want to deal with those struggles and confrontations and skeletons and ghosts and demons. And you can add any adjectives that apply to your life. I'm not your therapist. You can add whatever you want. You don't want to deal with it. Why? Because it's Ben Asnua. All you want to do with Ben Asnua is, right? Throw it away and reject it. Torah says, your real tachlis of why your neshama came down into Elam Hazah was to work with your animal soul, to refine your animal soul, to find the goodness and the godliness that really your animal soul is craving for. And when you do that, your godly soul is also elevated. That is the Pishnayim, as we will see in the continuation when he finishes the Maimah. So at last, we come now to explain this uh, strange Pasuk. So we explored the view of the Vilna Gon, at least according to some in the name of the Vilna Gon. I told you the Mitziv denies it, Sheker Heidubay. But we see here, that that's the key here, that this Pasuk, building up this whole story, is not Stam, to give you a dramatic story. According to the Vilna Gon's Pidush, this is Taka Pshat in the Maisa. As discussed. Now we go al Darachanister, what's the meaning? So a person has two wives, one is beloved, one is unbeloved, the Ben Abchoy comes Lisnia. Not the Ben Abchoy, is the Ben Ahuva. You want to give preferential treat, you want to give preference to the second son, Layuchalavak. Bahoya Biyoy Manchili is one of the same with the day of Yerusha. Right? The Bchoy of the Ben Asnua gets double. There are Mefarshim who say, Already in the Rishonim, I saw it once that it's a remez to Yaakov and Esav, to, to Rachel and Leah. Because Noshim, this is a story of Yaakov Avinu. Pasuk says clearly, Vayar Hashem Kisnua Leah. The Radak says it doesn't mean Yaakov hated Leah. You're not allowed to be married to a woman that you hate. The Gemara says in Kedushin that a person has to see his spouse before he marries her. Why? Because if you don't see her, in other words, you don't know. You don't know, right? It may be a difficult relationship. There has to be even basic ava. Yeah. Especially we know the Gemara says in Yevamas, Tzivu Chachamim, She Adam Oyev Es Ishte Kegufoy, O Mechabda That a person has to love his wife like much he loves himself and respect her more than he respects himself. So Gemara, a lot of people don't know. It's a Pesach in Shulchan Aruch, it's a Pesach in Rambam.
I'm sorry, the mus- on tape, I once heard a Musashmus from Chaim Shmulavish, the Mirror Rosh Hashiv in Yerushalayim. So he said that the two parts in Shulchan Aruch and Rambam and Gemara are connected to each other, not two separate things. Love your wife like you love yourself and respect her more than you respect yourself. Chacham said you should love your wife as much as you love yourself. How? He said, by respecting her more than respect yourself. When you respect somebody more than you respect yourself, he said that creates the Ava. Interesting insight. I'll call upon him. So the Radak says it doesn't mean Yaakov hated Leah. It means relative to the intense love that he had to Rachel, it seemed like Leah was Snua. Vayar Hashem ki Snua Leah. The Rachayim says, Vayar Hashem ki Snua Leah. Nobody else saw it, even Yaakov. In other words, it was subconscious. This is the Rachayim, 150 years before uh, the whole discussion. But only Hashem knew Snuala. In other words, even Yaakov didn't know it. Even Yaakov did. Sometimes you have feelings to somebody, but you don't know you have the feelings. They may feel something, but you don't even know why. Bayar Hashem. Only Hashem knew Kisnuala. So Kisiena Leish. And you have children. From Leah he had Reuven. From Rachel he had Yosef. She named her sons based on it, so apparently she felt it. Apparently she felt it. But in other words, it's not Stam. People think, you know, there was just fighting all day over there. Vayar Hashem kisnu Hashem was sensitive to it. That's what Erechaim says in Parshas Vayetzeh, I believe. I saw it years ago, but I think that's what he says. Very interesting insight. Only God saw it. So this Pasuk is referring to, essentially, Ha'achas Ovachas Nua. You have Leah and Rachel. One is Nua, one is Ahuva. V'yoldu loibonim. And basically, we know that Yosef, in many ways, in many ways, was, uh, as it says, you know, Yisrael of Yosef Mikol Bonov. But nonetheless, in some areas, Reuven remains the Pchay. Some type of things, Taka Yosef took. But here we come to the Oymek Ha'inyin, Alpinister. What is it? So every Jew has Shtein Fashus. One is a nefesh alikis and one is a nefesh abhamis. And we are married, in other words, not to one wife, but to two wives. Just like in a marriage, there is intimacy, meaning you become one. Each human being has shtei noshim. Two marriages. Ha'achas ahuva v'achas nua. What's prat achas ahuva v'achas nua? Achas ahuva v'achas nua means with one, the relationship with Hashem is in a state of av. And the other one causes a lot of struggle. Snua doesn't mean you hate it. Snua means there's difficulty, there's challenge, and the difficulty you despise, you loathe. One creates in a life struggle. One creates challenge because there's a contention between the two souls, as explained. There's always a mulchama between the two souls. So, It's not a bizarre, something that happens once in a thousand years, a yoyvul this is Maisim B'chalyam, every person, every single day. Life is a marriage between the body and the soul. But not between one body and one soul. Between one body and two souls. Two souls. The body has two souls and they're tucked into each other and they're enmeshed with each other and they're always operating with each other. So you operate on two levels of consciousness. 
One is divine, one is transcendental, one is godly, and one is beastly, and one is narcissistic, and one is animalistic. And both legitimately exist in the human being, and we have thoughts that come from both, and we have instincts that come from both, and we have emotions that come from both, and we have paradigms that come from both, and we have perspectives that come from both. And the person has to be able to identify this comes from this and this comes from that. And in most people's situations, there's no solution of obliteration or even complete transformation. Complete, complete transformation. That's not an option. And he says every day there's a Mulchama Chadasha. And the primary time of the Mulchama is Tfilah. That was the time that Hashem gave the person a special Eserotzen to be able to create a, uh, a platform or a situation where the person speaks to the animal soul, educates it, enlightens it, and so forth. And as he said, that the different parts of tefillah is essentially the conversation that the godly soul is having with the animal soul in its educational process, because the key here is not about obliteration or destruction, but always about enlightenment and sublimation. Even though that includes sometimes discipline, sometimes it includes transformation, sometimes it means saying no, sometimes it means saying strong no, sometimes it's yes, but the point is, you're always engaging. You're always in, there's always an engagement here. A professor, what they say, a professor once asked the students, he taught them English, he said, what's the difference between an engagement and a war? So one of the kids said, one is before the wedding and one is after the wedding. <laughs> so with the Nefesh HaLakis and Nefesh Bahamas, you also have that. There's always an engagement. Sometimes it's war, sometimes it's peace. War and peace. Right? We're talking about the war and peace inside of us. So this is the Siena Nasham, Now to take it and make it in a very personal way by every single person, when a person is in touch with their godly soul, so then their relationship with Hashem is Ahuva. It's full of sweetness, it's full of tining, it's full of love. When a person is in touch with their animal soul, then their relationship with Hashem is in a state of Snua. It's difficult. It's challenging. Not only that, the snua can even be to themselves. They hate a certain part of themselves. Right? People, one of the deepest issues that we face is that we hate certain parts of ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves for having those parts. And we're driven by a tremendous sense of guilt or a tremendous sense of... Uh, of um, um, Embarrassment, very good. Or you always have the right words. Wow. Okay, those are usually the best words, the words that come from, uh, not from the dictionary, but from the, from the psyche. And this is what a person struggles with. So, achasnua means a part of me I hate. And people say, I hate myself, or I hate this part of myself. I, I can't deal with it. But and sometimes the snua part becomes very overwhelming, very difficult. The chiddush of this maimer is when the pasuk says v'ahoya ben abchar It's not if the snua has ben abchar; it's always going to be that way. The ben abchar is always going to belong to the snua, which means the avoider, the child that comes from engaging with the part of yourself that you don't like will always produce a double portion of benefits. Will always produce the ben abchar. Will always produce something far deeper, far loftier, far higher, far more sublime. 
Yisun Ha'or will only be Mitoicha Choshech. And on a deeper level, because the Shorish of the Nefesh Bahamas is higher than the Shorish of the Nefesh Alikas. It comes from Toyu that preceded Tikkun. So Toyu is called the Pchor. Tikkun is always the second child. True! The Pchor went through a Shvirus Akela. True! The Nefesh Bahamas is lower than the Nefesh Alikas in terms of spiritual sensitivity, in terms of truth, in terms of ideal. That's true. True that Bahamas needs the Alikas to challenge it, to sublimate it. But deep down, the Nefesh Bahamas has a secret, a code, that if you can unleash the essence of its power, it will enhance and invigorate and rejuvenate the godly soul and give it a flavor that it completely lacks on its own. Not completely, it lacks on its own. The Bechol Moidecha, the Ma'oid, the Bleakville, the Infinity, that comes precisely from facing the darkness of the animal soul in all of its manifestations, sometimes very grotesque manifestations, or sometimes subtle manifestations. But that within itself is because it has sparks that came from a very lofty space. It just fell, and it broke, it fragmented, as explained the difference of Toyo and Tikkun. So the Ben Abchoyer always belongs to the Snuah. means the day of Yerusha. Palatanya teaches elsewhere, when the Geula comes, which is when Hashem is going to give the full Nachala to the Jewish people, you're going to realize that you always wanted to give preferential treatment to a life that is devoid of struggle with animal soul. But you're going to find that the Ben Abchor Yaker Losses Loy Pishnayim that the depth of the marriage, the depth of the relationship emerged precisely from the creations, from the children, from the, the Gemara says, in Saita, my peri, mitzvahs. Fruits are mitzvahs. Rashi says in Noyach, Ela told us, Noyach, Noyach is tzaddik, told they sayem shal tzaddikim, masim toivim. In other words, children are children, but also children is what you produce in your life. Every mitzvah you do, all the avoida that comes from you, the fruits, the harvest of your labor, that's all your fruits, it's children. Like the Chazal say in Bamidbar, you teach something to somebody who gave birth to him. Even though you didn't give birth to him, but you gave him identity, you gave him inspiration, you gave him Torah, you gave him mouth, you gave birth to him. So the, the Ben that comes from the Snua, right, the Avoida that comes from that challenge, from that struggle, that is always the Pachar. Why? Because it comes from Olam Hatayim. So here at last, we have a Shtikl Tapsi Turvi. On one level, the nefesh of the kiss, you can't compare to the nefesh This is a chelik al and this is an animal. And the animal, you have tsar balachayim, but it's an animal, it's a beast. And it operates on that level, it can't even come close to the nefesh of the kiss. But by the nefesh of the kiss becoming the mentor of the nefesh of Bahamas, what happens is, the nefesh of Bahamas becomes a mentor to the nefesh of the kiss. How can you that means if you don't become a mentor to the Nefesh Bahamas, you're not only betraying yourself, you're betraying the animal soul, because the animal soul is almost begging. It's almost begging and saying, recognize who I really am. I'm going to call myself a beast, but I'm really not a beast. Really, I'm very, very holy. I just don't know anymore the language. I don't know who I am. I went through a breakdown. Literally, I went through a Shvira Sakela. I don't know myself. I need you to know me. Yeah. Yeah, 
So that's the vart that, in other words, I'm betraying. When you betray your soul, you're betraying your animal soul as much as your divine soul. Because it's really telling you, um, I'll, uh, Don't look at me from the surface. You know, sometimes you'll have this rebellious child who's, who seems psychotic, or, okay, that's a big word, but who seems, uh, just seems completely out of line, and everything is just problematic. When you accept this child at face value, and you say, yeah, you're as bad as you say you are, you're not just betraying your higher judgment, you're betraying the child. The child deep down is begging you to say, no, I see something else in you. Bring out in me what I cannot bring out of myself, because I don't have the language. I don't have that sensitivity. I've been broken. I need you to bring out in me that nakuda. So every time we struggle with a very powerful instinct of our animal soul, there's really two things happening at once. There's the superficial instinct, but there's the underlying instinct that really it's the language of a world of toyu, which is not contained, which has no borders and has no barriers because it's very powerful. But because it was so powerful, therefore it could not uh, be structured within the norms of moral life. And that's why it's expressing itself in a tremendous mashicha maybe to something completely in the opposite direction, but really what it is, in its shayrish, is an Indian of Kedusha. And that's why, by just surrendering to the face value of the animal soul, you're betraying it. By challenging it and sublimating it, it will tell you thank you more than anybody else. Because ultimately you helped it reach its own primius. So by saying, I'll give you what you want, you're actually taking from her away her real gift, her real, her real energy her real divine source. So the ben habchayr always belongs to the snua. So when you're dealing with something in your animal soul, this is a very tachlas, because this work will elevate the divine soul. So that's what he says, the last line, Dafke the animal soul, which is snua. It's loathed. Why? Because it challenges you. It challenges your morality. It schleps you down. All your chesroinus, all your midisroyus come from it. Your laziness, your fear, your insecurity. Remember, the Nefeshelikis is not lazy. It's not fear. It's not dominated by fear, by insecurity, by envy, by, um, by animosity, by depression. So this becomes snua. From that Nefesh Bahamas, Vahoya ben Abchair, Lifnei Meloch Melech. Back to that Pasuk. Ve'ela Melochim Ashemolchu Beretz Eden, Lifnei Meloch Melech Lebnei Yisrael. The Melochim of Toyu, Lifnei Meloch Melech. That's the Pchair before the Melech Lebnei Yisrael. Melech Lebnei Yisrael is the Nefesh Alakis. Malchi Edom is the Nefesh Abahamas. Ve'hine la Snia Ksiv Biyud. Loshen Dover Acher. Lachomer. it should have said Snua. I'll be Diktuk. And it's possible to say Kishen Lishdenam Achasu Vacha Snua. Vyodle Bonam Ahova Vasnua. Vahoya Benabchur La Snia. So twice it says Snua. Ahuva snua, the beloved one, and the unbeloved one, and then it says v'hoya ben abchar to who l'snia. Suddenly he changes, and then he goes back. 
So this is the difficulty. Why suddenly here it says Lasnia Ksiv Biyut? This is a remez Har Sinai. Gemara says in Masechta Shabbos, why is Har Lamin Nikrishma Har Sinai? Why is it called Har Sinai? The word Sinai comes from the word Sina. So the Gemara says Shiyarda Sina La Oivde Kechavim Amazalos. On that mountain, anti-Semitism was created. That's what the Gemara says. The day the Jews stood at that mountain, they became victims of anti-Semitism. It's a very interesting insight of the Chazal that Har Sinai is the source of anti-Semitism. What happened at that moment, ultimately there is a sense that the Jew is in a different space and there is a feeling that is uneasy. The question is how it manifests itself. Sometimes it manifests itself in one way, sometimes in another way. But that's the pshat in Gemara, Har Sheyardal of Sinel Umasailam. This is Alpi Pshat, Alpi Ruchnius on a deeper level, he touches. Har, that's the mountain. Sheyarda Sinel of the Kechavim Mazalas. It's a mountain that allows the Jew, allows a Jew to be able to develop a Sinel Limois Harabetachlis to be able to negate, to get disgusted with him living a life of Ra, absolutely. A life of Ra, which is a life of fragmentation. A life of brokenness. Ra from the word Ru'us, Kaisal Ru'ah, separation. Brokenness, fragmentation, which can result in negativity. To be able to be completely most with this betachlis, by exposing and revealing the Ratzin and the Av and the Nefesh Alekis, which is L'mayla min Adas, like he said by Krishna before Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, understanding that even Echad doesn't do justice to the Nefesh Alekis, because the Nefesh Alekis is rooted in Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu, which is even deeper than Hashem Echad, as explained before, that the soul essentially is rooted in the place of Hashem that is completely beyond all of the worlds and completely transcendental. And from there it went down into into the body and into the Nefesh Abamas, when a person realizes that, who they really are, who they really are, so the temptation of being broken becomes almost irrelevant. Limes Harabetachlis means it becomes so uh, reprehensible, so questionable, it goes completely out of my league. So that's the Sniya, the Harsha Yardal of Sinna. It's not Snua he's hated. But Sniya, he can develop that ability, that's what he says, Dover Acher, the ability to be Moyes, to be Masni, to be Masni, Miloshan Mafel, to be Masni, the Rabbit Achlis. This is what happens then. So that's, and, and knowing that the Ben Abchor Taka, the Ben Abchor Taka belongs to, belongs to the Sniya. So, Vahoya Biyoman Chilias Bonov, Loy Yuchalavaka. was a Yid, a big tzaddik, the Bisral of Ruzhin. They, they call him the Heleke Rizhina. The Bisral of Ruzhin. They say a Maisa that it was once after Yom Tif, came out to Shul. And uh, it was a Shul by, by some Hasidim, they davened later. Some people davened later. They would prepare for hours and daven later. And uh, he comes out to Shul Isruchag. And he saw a young chassid of his. It was karuf to chatzois. It wasn't chatzois, but it was close to midday. And the man is putting on talis and tefillin, starting to daven. 
Rebbe says, why so late? Why can you daven early? What are you davening so late for? So the young man looks perplexed. He says, the shul is filled with uh, elder chassidim. They're all starting to daven now. What, what do you want from me? Rishna says, I'll tell you a marshal. There was a yid. The marshal itself is quite profound. There was a yid, a ish pashat, simple man, worked very hard. He was a water carrier. Water carrier then was, you didn't bring the water from the sink to the table. You brought the water from the river or the brook or the wellspring from sometimes outside the city, schlepping day and night to give every house some water to be able to wash their hands, have some water to cook, whatever, bathe. And each night he would come home, exhausted, energy depleted. And his wife, who was a poor family, his wife would always give him the same dinner. This went on for years. A hard piece of bread, a piece of potato, and a cup of water. And that was dinner. He didn't know of anything else. Every night he came home, 8 o'clock, dinner was waiting. He comes home, his wife is not there, dinner is not there, he's starving. He never prepared it, the potato, the bread, the water, it's not there. The good juice, he thinks to himself, ah, probably my wife knows how hard I work, so she decided tonight she's going to surprise me. She's going to prepare a dinner, it's going to be Sudas Levyasam Vashar Habar. He starts thinking what a special wife he has. She's going out of her way. An hour passes, the poor man's kishkas are turning over, he's been fasting all day. He thinks, probably, where did my wife even get money to buy food? Probably she pawned some of her jewelry, she gave them as a mashkin to go buy the most expensive, delicious, gourmet fish and meat in the world to make me suda shleima b'shaita. And he's getting excited for this meal that he's going to see. And which each hour that passes, he starts imagining, unbelievable how far she traveled to get the best of the best of the best to give him dinner. Around 11 o'clock at night, his wife runs in. She apologizes for the land. She gives him potato, piece of bread, and a cup of water. And the whole dream fell apart. So he looks at her and he says, Rebetzin, my dear wife, for this meal, I didn't have to wait for three hours. This meal I could have had at 8 o'clock. This meal we could have had. I didn't wait. I want to wait. So the Ruzhina looks at this man, he says, Mela, Jew who wakes up and he prepares himself for davening for many hours, and then he serves Hashem a breakfast, Kamoisha Kosov. Not stomach breakfast. Ah, Hashem says this was worth waiting for. He says, But for dine davening, for your davening, your baked potato and hard piece of bread, you could already do for sikkim. <laughs> you could do an early davening. What are you davening late for? With your davening, you don't need time. Anyway, you know how you daven. So just daven, daven up. I think you're hanging. That's what he tells. Okay? Chsidim leave. Story is not over. Chsidim leave. They're going home. They come to an inn. You know, all these stories in the Kretschmas. You know, they had like a Motel 6, but it wasn't quite like a Motel 6. There's always an oven. There's always a guy on top of the oven. You know, it's cold. You know how the ovens went? There'd be people on top of that to warm themselves. So an old man, he looks like 100 years old. He's on top of the oven. So the Chsidim are sitting there eating dinner. They're saying, whatever they're schmoozing, divrei teire, divrei chsidis, maises. This old man says, Yidin, where are you coming from? They say, we're coming from the Hele Kedushina. So he says, Nu Avart, Avart, when you heard. They said, over this Vart. This Vart that he said that morning to this man, he chastised him for davening late. With your meal that you give God, there's no excuse, you can daven early. So the man says to them, your Rebbe is wrong. You know, Hasidim don't like hearing that. Right? They want to uh, kill him. They want to attack him. 
says, relax, I'll tell you why he's wrong. If this man really loved his wife, if he really loved his wife, then even the meal that she gave him at 11 o'clock at night was meager and scant, knowing that she prepared it for him, would have been so pleasurable to him that he would have eaten it with so much passion and gusto, because it's not what she serves him, it's who served him. I say, if Hashem loves the Jewish people, then even the davening that is later and is fast, coming from the Jew, he loves it and cherishes it. Your Rebbe is wrong. Now, Chassidim have, or at least are supposed to have a chushareyach, sense of smell. So they realized this is a word. They went back to the Ruzhna. They went back to the Rebbe and they told them the word. And he listened, and he said, the neshama of this Jew came down to the world to say this vart, to say this limutzchus on this yid, and to bring out this vart, that if God loves us for real, then every nekudah that you give is so powerful, it's so precious, it could be a big piece of potato, he cherishes it. And they understood... They understood he was a very, a very old man, that this was, so to speak, the completion of his, of his shlichus in the world. So this brings out this nekuda. A nefesh alikis is so entangled with a nefesh of Bahamas. Yeah. Sometimes all the person can produce is a piece of potato. But knowing who the person is, it's so pleasurable, it's so precious by Hashem, that he cherishes it. He gobbles it up so much with so much gusto, with so much passion because of this Ava. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.